once again. This is Nuance. Thank you all for joining us. I am Mike Scala, joined as always by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip hop MC and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Um, getting some feedback here, hearing you try an echo. Hold on. I think that's you. Yeah, that's me. I was trying to make it public so that we can share this video far and wide. I was getting some feedback. Let me try this. I think we're good now. Yeah, I don't hear you, um, the second you anymore. Yeah, one me is enough. As <laughs> well. <laughs> so we were going to have a guest on this week. We're actually going to do something a little bit different, which I don't want to say yet until we do that, but we're looking at possibly upgrading the show or taking it to a, a different place. So we will keep you posted on that. You know, knock on wood, let's not jinx it. But in the meantime, it's you know just us again. We didn't have different guests uh, scheduled because we were going to possibly do something else, but that apparently got pushed back. So, you know, thank you all for bearing with us. Whether we have a guest or not, I think we always have a good discussion on here. Yeah, absolutely. So... So before we went live, we actually were having a discussion about <laughs> music, as we often do. Yeah. And we were talking about touring and how things are different now, right? I mean, number one, people used to go on the road and sell CDs and obviously cassettes and vinyl records and <laughs> all kinds of music in physical media. Now that's not really a thing anymore. And so you can still sell T-shirts, but if you're a band or a musician or a comedian or anyone really going on the road and you're really just kind of starting out or building a career up, you're not making a ton of money per performance. How do you support yourself? How do you survive? How do you make money being on the road? Or do you just take a loss and write it off? Yeah. I mean, and, and most people don't realize that, you know, most bands and performers, when they go on the road, especially their first tours, um, generally, you know, take a loss. Right. It's trying to it's more about getting on as many stages as possible, getting getting those experiences, um, meeting those people, all that type of thing. Um, and you would try to like you said, you would try to sell your merch while you're while you're doing it. Um, and then and I think that's that's true for pretty much everyone. Even um, what was it? A, I remember an old documentary, I think it was even Jay-Z was talking about that first. The, well, that was the, the first big tour he went on um, was. Um, the the bad boy tour puff brought them let them come on the tour and he's like they were staying in like closets and stuff because it's like they didn't have diddy wasn't really paying them it was just like more they were allowed to be on this tour right but it was like they were kind of i guess paying their dues so to speak right well for a big tour like that i could see someone saying i don't care how much it costs me i'm gonna get myself on this tour because it's gonna open so many doors for me. you know being on that stage is gonna be a good look for you yeah, yeah. but if you're trying to set up your own tour you're just really yeah. trying to grind it out I think that's a little bit of a different ball game. Um, it can be scary. Let's say you want to travel the whole country and really get out there. First of all, do you even do that anymore? Now everything is online. Is it even worth doing that? Because that used to be the hustle, trying to get physically before as many people as possible, play as many rooms as possible, meet people on the road. Then you do the in-stores, right? You get your music at all the stores locally. You make these, these connections. Maybe you even do radio, right? College radio, whatever it is, all these different cities. You're establishing yourself and building a presence in those cities. But now with everything really moving to the online space, is that even as much of a priority for people? Yeah. And, and I think it, I think it is. People still like to go to live shows, still like to be out there. I mean, COVID really hampered a lot of that. 
And as we were talking about earlier, I mean, there are a lot of artists who have been, you know, their whole career is basically touring, you know, that it's, um, especially in hip hop, you've got a lot of the um, old school golden or golden age type of artists um, and then the independent artists. And like, that's where they make their, their bread and butter is, is on tours. Um, Cause you know, CDs aren't selling like that and streams, you've got to have a ridiculous amount to, you know, live off of so like touring is and merch and is where it's at for them but those are like you said golden age or people who are more established what if you're a new artist coming yeah. up now i'm not seeing a whole lot of it I, mean, I know it happens but i'm definitely not seeing it as much as i used to right a new artist just trying to establish themselves setting up a tour nationwide or worldwide i don't know i'm not maybe because like we kind of touched on the monetary opportunities aren't there the way they used to be Right. And I mean, part of it, I mean, I'll concede part of it is we're not in that world like we were before um, to see that. But I think also you're right. Like, I think more these days, um, artists are using their social media to to build that following. So when they do finally get on a stage you know, people know who they are. Right. Right. That's true. And I remember it used to be a thing. It still is to a certain extent, but not as much anymore, where people would say, Hey, I live in Nebraska or I live in Idaho. I live in Arkansas. There's really no music scene where I'm at, or at least the industry isn't there. Like if I really want to get on in a big way, I got to get to New York or maybe California. And I don't have maybe, you know, they're in a situation that doesn't allow them to, to just pack up and move to New York or California. So they're right. kind of stuck. But now I think there's more opportunity to be wherever you're at and just build a presence through social media. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you can do that through, you know, content generation putting as much content out as you can in a lot of different creative ways and that's a way to you know to get your stuff out there to the world and start to build that following and once you get those those numbers up those uh, views and those followers and you know you can start to uh maybe hit the road at that point because now you got people waiting for you to hit the road and i've seen a lot of people do do it that way as well and not just not just music artists i'm seeing um comedians are oh, yeah. doing it that way comedians really are, are are hitting that that style very hard too but and so that's really a drastic change at least again in new york and in the big cities because you would always have scenes of comics and they would tell you if you want to get on as a comedian you got to do these open mics every night right you got to go out there perform five times a week seven times a week whatever it is you got to be a barker they would call that where you stand on the corner selling tickets to these comedy shows and do all these these things like paying your dues in the scene and trying to come up through the scene of comics in your city and then you would have people say well i don't really have anything i, I live in a small area maybe i'll try to make my own scene but it's not the same it's not popping the same way maybe i gotta try to get to new york i feel like that's a big shift because now like you said if people can just be in their living room, tell jokes, put it on social media and actually get famous to build somewhat of a name just from having some viral content online. Now you can get tours booked and be paid to perform everywhere. That's much different from the way it used to be where you had had to be in a scene to get noticed. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, there's still a lot of merit and value to, to getting on those stages um, because you could be that, you know, you built up this great social media and your your videos are hilarious or your videos on the music or uh, your video on uh, music videos are good and your your music sounds great 
but you have no kind of stage experience and no stage right. presence. You get out there and you just completely suck. And then now the whole, yeah, the whole visage is, is ruined. Like you're, you're well, done. It also depends on the format, right? Because I think hip hop can be too forgiving when it comes to that. I think if you're a comedian, that's a different story, right? You can easily yeah. bomb on stage without the presence. Yeah. But we see with rappers, they just lip sync over the recorded vocals and everyone claps. I mean, I would like to see it be the same thing where people yeah. say, you don't have it. Sorry, you bombed off stage. Next. We don't see that. I've never seen a rapper blow up, so to speak, through their music and have their career tanked because they couldn't perform on stage. Yeah, I don't I'm trying to think of, of anybody, but I, I don't I don't know. It's probably happened. Has maybe, it? Maybe not completely tanked, but maybe it was it gave them a rough start because their stage show was not good. You see, maybe in the underground circles where you have to get noticed on stage and in a live setting. Yeah, you're not, you're not made, if you have a hit on the radio based on something you record in the studio, I think you can show up on any stage. MTV Spring Break, Lip Sync, and you're fine. Uh, maybe. I, I think there's, yeah, you got a lot on your side at that point. <laughs> the wind's at your back. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, um, who's the, the one that just came out this past year with that big hit? Um, Ice Spice. Um, the um, so this is rapper, how old we are. <laughs> rapper from the from is she from Harlem or the Bronx? I have no idea where she's from, but I did see her in a bunch of commercials. And I think what was she on the Grammys or she was on a TV show, an award show. I saw her a couple times recently, but when I was just in Maryland working on some music oh, with uh, our boy Isaac, and we saw a video and it said featuring Ice Spice or whatever. And he was trying to tell me that was from the Spice Girls. I'm like, nah, she's way too young to be a Spice Girl. No, no. no. She had that that uh, viral song Munch. Um, I don't think she's able to. I don't think she's followed it up with anything. She had a, a second song that came out. I don't think it hit as big as it was. It sounded pretty similar to, to the first one. Her flow is completely the same. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, yeah, like she just. I don't think she did that hit the stages and, and the open mics. I think it was just like scatter viral hit. We we saw that with um uh remember Creation. Creation. Cre I think it's pronounced Creation. Cre Cre said Creation because the way it's spelled, but I yeah. think it said Creation. But they had she had that that song, that one that one song blew up real big, came out of nowhere, and the next thing you know, she's like at the awards. Well, you've always had one hit wonders, they would call them. Yeah music and oftentimes these are studio creations right or major label creations industry yeah. creations they're not the artists who grinded it out those artists tend to have more longevity because they're self-made and they yeah. put the time and they pay their dues they built something they built a foundation yeah. some kind of treated or are they willing to be treated as a get rich quick scheme and that's fine for them they can yeah. they can pop off and, and do what they do and fade out but maybe they can put their kids through college off the one song whatever yeah, yeah. That works for some people, but that's not really the way to, to have longevity. I don't think, generally speaking, not just in music, but in anything that you do, right? You want to build a foundation. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a different uh, game. There's um, there's other. I, I I would say the touring route and all of that. I think it's all still valid and valuable, but you do have to add some of those other skills to to your repertoire. Social media definitely has to be right. part of your, your game plan um, and the, the, the content that you create off of it has to be part of the game plan. You know, we were talking about artists not being good on stage and not really affecting their careers or, or whatnot. I remember 
to be perfectly honest, Nas used to be bad on stage and he would be the first one to admit that he really stepped it up over the years. But back in the late nineties, early two thousands, maybe he smoked too much. Maybe it was asthma. I don't know what it was, but I I think it was more like the way he approached the stage show. He would scream his lyrics and run out of breath, but he would have like 10 people on stage shouting the lyrics behind him. And he wanted the crowd to, to, to finish every, every rhyme, but he wasn't flowing at all on stage. He would like start, screaming the first couple words of a line and running out of breath and letting everyone else finish it. And it just wasn't a polished show at all, but he really, really, really stepped it up. And I think he put the time in when he started doing those. Um, I don't know if it was rock the bells or remember he would like say, okay, I'm going to do all of Illmatic on, on one show. And he, I think he really kind of put time into that side of his craft. It's really different, right? Being great on the mic in a studio is a different skill set than being great on the mic on stage. And that came later for him. It certainly didn't tank his career, but now he's known as a good stage show where that wasn't the case before. Now people want to go and see him more. It used to be you'd go to see him because you were curious, wanted to see the songs that you liked on, you want to see how it was, but the show really wasn't anything to write home about. Now he really knows how to hold it down. Yeah. Yeah. I think that probably happens a lot with, with rap in particular. Um, It it takes some time to acclimate to, to get on the stage because, you know, there's, you know, when, when you're spitting lyrics, it's a little bit different than, than singing. Cause you can like, in singing, you can go high notes and low notes and change all this and that, but you don't really have, um, that type of thing when, when you're, you're rhyming a verse, right? So you've got to come up with something else as far as your stage show goes, right? Right. To make yourself stand out. But you know what it is also with certain styles of hip hop, take someone like a Rakim or a Nas who comes from that same kind of vein they're not very loud on the record. They're not really shouting, right? It's not like a Buster Rhymes. I think like a Buster Rhymes style on record naturally translates to a stage show. But if you're Nas and you're kind of just saying your rhymes in kind of a quiet voice in the studio, right? that's going to be hard to come across on stage. You're going to get on stage, everything is loud. It's a it's more of an electric atmosphere. And you just, to say your rhymes in a quiet voice doesn't seem to translate. You know what I mean? Like you need to, to, have, to bring some more energy. It's, it's, it's a concert. So you have to, so, and then sometimes you try to overcompensate by shouting and then that doesn't work. Like you said, you run out of breath. It just doesn't sound good. You're just yelling now. So you have to find that balance of, you know, how to bring that energy for a stage show, but also stay true to your record. Also be able to flow like you do on the mic. It's, there's a whole science to it and art to it. So it's not easy to, you know, but again, I think it depends on your style too. Right? I think certain people have a style that's more, you know, easily acclimated to a stage setting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, you got to, you, you got to find your, your, your vein, your, your lane, how you do that. Yeah. Um, I remember actually one of the most amazing stage shows in hip hop, um, was, uh, MC hammer. Mm, because he had dancers and everything, right. Choreography. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, I was working at, um, did I, I don't think I went to the show. I think I was working the show. Um, and he had on the stage, he had like three levels, three platforms that went up and on like each circus. Yeah. And each one, it was like a Broadway show. And on each platform, there were different dancers and it was all across the whole thing. And they were all in unison. Yeah. And it was just like flawless. And it was just this amazing display of like, uh, dancing and performance. And it was like, yeah, like he put a lot into his stage show. You know, he might, people might have criticized him for rhymes not being so intricate and this and that, but his stage show was just incredible. Right. 
Right. And that's something I really got into more actually right before I started law school and my priorities kind of shifted. But when I was all in in hip hop going back in the day, I really started getting into treating the stage show like a separate piece of art. Right. It wasn't just a vehicle for me to perform my music. It was its own entity. Like That's how I was thinking of it. Right. Like I'm going to write these songs. I'm going to make these songs, put out these songs. And now I'm going to make this show. Right. I'm not just going to perform. The show, the show isn't just going to be me performing these songs. I'm going to make a new piece of art called a show right? right. Like where I'm doing things very deliberately. I have video. Remember, we started to, to make use of that video screen. Yeah. Um, you know, I really want to get back into doing that once I start uh, hitting the road and, and doing these sets again. I, I really want to use video. and I really want to have a very deliberately planned show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and yeah, we we planned out different things on shows and, and um it it does come with experience on the stage. It also comes with being comfortable on the stage, like where you right. get on the stage and you feel like, you know, this is my stage. You know what I mean? Like there'd be times, you know, in the middle of the show, we'd stop and talk with the audience and just kind of rip. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think we should continue to do that. That's a good look. But it also depends on the type of show. Maybe we talked about sure. it on here when when uh, the DJ was saying it's not that type of show. You're in you're in a theater in Hollywood. Don't chat with the people in the front row like you would in the club in New York. Yeah, I mean, that was a different situation. Different situation, way. but yeah, no. But I do think that's that's a good look. You want to involve the audience and make them part of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so know. we spoke about uh, Ice Spice. Did you see this story that came out recently? A basketball player. Someone in the chat can tell me who it was. A basketball player took her out on a first date. And I think spent like a half a million dollars on the date. Um, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't go that high? No. Not a first date, maybe a second or third date, right? No. No? No. I mean, and, and I'm not saying he to him that half a million probably was nothing, but no. I don't know. I think a half a million always is something. <sighs> maybe he thought, I mean, but obviously if he spent it, he, it must have been okay. But I don't know. People go broke doing that. You know, you mentioned MC Hammer. You can go broke spending your money like that. Yeah, absolutely. So now nah, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Half a million is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the- At a certain point, it just becomes about the price tag more than the quality. Right. Like, I understand you spend more money to get better quality things, but that's I think there's diminishing returns there. Right? Like at a certain point, you're yeah. just spending the money to say you spent the money and you can have just the same quality spending a lot less. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Especially when you talk about a hundred, uh, what do you say? Half a, half a million dollars. It's $500,000. Ballpark. Yeah. If it's $500,000, like, okay, let's say you spent $10,000 on a date. You're still having a stupid good time. Like that's a huge difference. Like, I don't know, but you know, ball players are, um, Jordan Poole. Ball players are known for being uh, spending money like crazy, you know? Maybe that should be the poll question of the week. Would you spend $500,000 on a first date with rapper Ice Spice? <laughs> yeah. I-, I wonder what his um, his contract is like. Let's see. <laughs> He's a guard. Oh, here. I'm looking right now. Jordan Poole. He signed a four-year, $128 million contract with the Golden State Warriors. So that's why he's spending half a million dollars. Because it's That like doesn't justify it. It's a half a million dollars? Come on. That's like I guess maybe on a wedding, right? But a first date. 
not even on a wedding. Like what? Nah. What do you guys think in the chat? That's never, never. Even if I had, never. No reason for it. Oh man. So speaking of polls, I guess we can go over our poll from last week. I did get it up on Reddit. And I got an interesting comment too that I can share. I can pull this question up. We're asking about the police dogs, the digi dogs. And actually, there's a good segue there. Spending half a million dollars on a date or spending how much did they spend on those two dogs? I think it was like 738000 on two digi dogs or something like that. What's a better use of the money? 500000 on Ice Spice or 738000 on two digi dogs? Give me the dogs. The dogs? Give me the dogs. Well, here are our results. The question was, do you agree that $738,000 should be spent by the NYPD on two robotic police dogs? 83% no, 17% yes. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I, I mean, it's like, why? What are they, what are they for? What kind of, I mean... He, well, they're for advanced <laughs> normal dog stuff, robotically, AIE. AIE. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing that I could see is if it was a, 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 a like for bomb defusal, right? Yeah. That was, I believe that is one of the functions. That's the only thing I could see that could just kind of justify that type of price tag is saying that this can do bomb defusal. Um, what about sniffing out drugs? Yeah, but a, a robot dog can't do that. A robot dog can't? I can't. No. Doesn't have, they can't smell. <laughs> you can't, for that price tag, you can't have artificial smelling? No, they don't have the, the olfactory senses. You can't have them like, I don't know, come in contact with the chemicals in the air and figure out the chemical composition of that? No, not like a dog, no. I guess a dog, yeah. A dog does have a good sense of smell, right? Even better than these robots. They've got, they've got some job security. That is true. We complain about Computers taking our jobs. We should fight for these dogs. We want these dogs to lose their jobs. No, as long as they've got their noses, they're they're good. Well, oddly paranoid. I like that username. Oddly paranoid on Reddit says, "Just use normal dogs. Unless these bad boys are going to be running around like a transformer, normal dogs will do the job just fine." I agree. Um, I don't think. I don't think the, the the technology is there yet to where it needs to be in, in, in the police force, like for it's going to be that more useful than a regular dog is, right? That's kind of what we talked about with the date, right? Like, okay, we understand spending more money, but at a certain point, you're just wasting the money. Yeah. I mean, because it can patrol, sure. Uh, it could, you, you might on on the odd chance that you have to do a bomb defusal. Um, but what is it doing other than that, right? Well, Can't it's also be- safer, right? I mean, in that situation. In that situation, yeah. Absolutely. You'd, You'd rather have a robot blow up than an actual dog. Or they have they have robots for that. They have remote control stuff for that. Yeah. You know, there's not no need to get a, a robot dog out there. Like right. What I was also what I was questioning last week, the fact that it's shaped like a dog. So obviously it's just a robot, but they want they want it to look like a dog. Like it's going to replace a dog, but in robot form. That kind of makes me feel a certain kind of way. I mean, I don't know. I feel it's just a robot. Let's say they didn't call it a dog. Let's, let's say, you know. We're spending this money on fancy police robots that are going to defuse bombs. It's, would that be so controversial? Maybe we'd be like, yeah, we kind of assume that you were doing that anyway. <laughs> yeah, but not a, 
I think, yeah, this is the, this isn't just wasteful spending. This is what this is at this point. Like the dog needs to be doing way more for, for that price tag. And it's, and you're talking about, you know, uh, it's not even a military application. This is for use on the, the citizenry, you know, like, uh, yeah. Does Fido deserve it? It's coming though. We know it's coming. Like, San Francisco, you we we talked about it last week. Like places have robots that are patrolling certain areas. So, but yeah, I don't think it's seven hundred thirty thirty eight thousand dollars. No. Yeah, for two. Yeah. Does Fido deserve a pay raise? If you can pay the robots this much, why not pay the actual dogs? And you know what I'm saying? He deserves two milk bones instead of one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's you know get the union on that. It's got to be a union somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was part of the controversy also, right? The union trying to get that contract done and right. all the cuts to the budget of all these agencies. And amidst all of that, we saw the NYPD was using this money from the forfeiture fund to buy right. these two robots. And yeah, there was a question as to was that the best use of that funding? Right. So and according to the people, no. And I don't know if that, yeah, I think it's another discussion too on whether or not the police should get to keep that money. <laughs> like, like, shouldn't that go to the, shouldn't that go to like the city and then the city decide what to use with it or something? I don't know. Right. That should be benefit the people, not the police itself, or it should come out of their budget. Like if your budget was a billion and you had a 735,000 forfeiture that you found, like, yeah, the city shouldn't have to pay you the, the seven thirty five. Like you've just made that up. Like you shouldn't get extra. It's not a tip. Well, that's true. But if you're using this money to make expenses, then you're saving money from your main budget, right? It's extra, but it's extra money. So it's like, yeah. It's extra money, true, but it I mean, it, it, it can also justify cuts to the main budget. I mean, if you're trying to do the finances and you have to make cuts, and you think, okay, well, they have this extra money here, then they don't need as much in the main pot, right? Well, if they do that, that can be that could be good. Um, that's what I'm saying. They should look at it and be like, hey, well, you got this extra seven hundred thousand, so we can deduct seven hundred thousand from what we were going to give you because this is what you know, and you got it. Yeah. Instead of just here, has you've got another seven hundred thousand on top of what you've had. You know, that all needs to be taken into account. But what we're seeing now is just cuts across the board to all these different agencies and trying to figure out ways that we can save, right? And that goes back to the question of okay, so if we're making these cuts, should we maybe using be using this funding that we do have a little more wisely? Absolutely. I think I think we should. So when you're cutting, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of making wise decisions, the governor is facing pushback on her latest choice for chief judge for the Court of Appeals. Now, as we recall, this is not the first one, right? Her original pick was defeated. And there was a big controversy over that. The Senate is tasked with confirming the governor's choice and the Senate Shot it down. There was a whole lawsuit over that. It got very messy. Well, we're in round two right now. The judge is trying to select Rowan Wilson to be the chief judge of the Court of Appeals. And there's a woman's organization, now NYC, 
objecting to it on the basis of a decision that Judge Wilson penned last month, I believe it was, yeah, last month, called People v. Regan, where he overturned a conviction of an alleged rapist on constitutional grounds. And this group is saying that you're not strong on women's rights, women's issues, you should not be the chief judge. And we actually took a look at that decision. And I don't want to get too deep into the particulars of this case. We can talk about what we read. But I think there's a larger issue here about the concern that I have that all of these decisions surrounding judges are being politicized to an extreme degree. I mean, the judges are bound by the Constitution and following constitutional principles and legal principles. We may not like their decisions, but they're not there to be democratic animals, right? They're there to uphold the law. And so there's a, it's a different position. Now, maybe this group has good legal reasoning for why they disagree with his appointment. They, he made a bad legal decision. That's fine to be critical of that. But I think we're on the slippery slope now of looking at every judicial decision in political terms. And there's danger there. Um, I, I mean, I can see, though, where they're, they're saying, look, we are. We don't like this this decision that he made. It doesn't align with with what our group believes in. So, you know, we're going to not support his uh, nomination. I don't see. Right. But, but hold on a second. You're saying it doesn't align with what their group believes in. So you're saying that their group doesn't believe in the Constitution and the law. Well, no, the 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 judge. It was a rape case. So they're like, oh, well, he threw out this rape case. Now, they may not understand that it was basically a procedural type of thing. And there was yeah. a thing. And I, and I, you know, we had the discussion. I was finding, finding it hard to understand how he was found guilty, how this was thrown out the way it was. Right. Um, and so that could be what they're, they're looking at now, if they're saying, okay, you know what? I don't care that, that this was, a uh, it was his constitutional rights were violated. I still want to be held accountable because he did this, this thing. Then I think it's a little bit more of a diff- uh, different conversation. Yeah, but we've got a guest with us now, Sheba Abraham. Thank you for joining us. I know this was last minute. We had something else planned for this episode, but the show does go on and you are here to join us. We're having a very interesting discussion about the governor's troubles nominating a new ju- uh, chief judge to the Court of Appeals. Oh, um, I don't know his background. Did, what, what's his background? What is his? Well, he's on the Court of Appeals now. And so some of the controversy is from a decision that he made last month. Then I guess we can talk about it in you know, a little bit of detail. I, you know, and, and this discussion to me is not really about the particulars of this case. It's just about my general concern by how this is being overly politicized, in my opinion. But this particular case involved a defendant who was convicted of rape by a trial court, by a lower court. And the Court of Appeals ended up overturning the conviction on the grounds that the defendant's right to a speedy prosecution was violated because I believe this happened in 2009, Jay, the alleged incident. And it took them until 2016 to even bring a prosecution. And so the judge wrote a decision talking about New York's and the federal government's constitutional principles that you have a right to not just a speedy trial, but a speedy Speedy prosecution is tied to due process rights, and there are factors the court considers as to whether these rights were satisfied or not. Ultimately, the judge said that the prosecution offered 
no excuse as to why there was such a big delay. And you can't just wait that long to bring a prosecution without an excuse as to why. You can't just hang it over someone's head for that many years. And so he overturned the conviction, saying that the prosecution should not have happened in the first place. There's a women's group now objecting to this judge being the chief judge of New York because they think that he's not friendly to women's and victims' rights. Well, I, I can say, yeah, I don't think so either. That does not sound good because if women, you look at the Cosby case, Cosby, uh, Bill Cosby, and how many years uh, was it before those women came forward? Well, but that's a different story because the women came forward and complained years later. In this case, the alleged victim made a complaint right away and the prosecutor didn't do anything for, until years later. I think that there is a, I was going to say, I think there is a, a kind of a similarity with the Cosby case, uh, but more on how his case got thrown out. Right. It was more also a procedural thing. Right. The prosecutor got a little overzealous, did something they weren't supposed to do. And so the judge was like, hey, that's that's not allowed. And so they ended up throwing it out. And so it's it's the question becomes more about do we want these rights of everyone protected, even if it's an outcome that we don't agree with. Right. This guy may have done the rape, but if they didn't go about it the right way, then it got thrown out. And that could be in, that could have been any one of us. We want we want those rights protected. Cosby right. may have done may have done it. But if the prosecutor is supposed to bring the prosecution a certain way and he didn't do it, then that could, again, could be any one of us. Those rights were violated. So it's, it's kind of a similarity there, I think. And by the way, didn't we have a discussion on here not too long ago about prosecutors being held accountable for not doing the right thing? We said oh. that they've got immunity right now where they cannot be sued themselves for their misconduct. and most people, I think, said that they should be sued for their misconduct. If they do something egregious or they don't follow the law, they should be held accountable for that. Well, we can't have it both ways. I mean, either they have to follow no. the correct procedure and the right. constitutional provisions or not. In this case, the judge ruled that they were not followed and therefore the conviction can't stand. I think that there is a natural inclination for us to push back if it's something so terrible, right? It's a rape we're talking about here. And so we want right. justice for the victim, but we also right. have to follow the constitution. And I don't think it's fair to tell the judge now that you can't be the chief judge. You know, we're not going to support you as a judge or in your job for, for doing your job. I mean, we, we're asking them to hold prosecutors accountable and make sure that they do things the right way. And now when we hold them accountable to a certain extent, we're telling them that they're wrong. Right. But but the victim in this case, I can see the women um, uh, protesting and uh, not trusting this, having faith in this in her selection, in the governor's selection, because what about the victim in all of this? Sure. I think I think it's the the, the um, onus of of wrongdoing here is more on the prosecution, not on the judge. And right. I think that's where they should be like, okay, look, you fumbled this case. This guy should be held accountable. You fumbled this case. The judge had no choice but to follow what the laws were and what the person's rights are, and you screwed this up. That's kind of where it should be aimed at. Right. right. The, the, right the, but right, what the, takes precedence over the other? A person being the, the a victim or the person that did it? Because there's there's somebody in the middle that messed up. The prosecutor so, apparently messed this one up. And the judge yeah. even said the prosecution offered 
no explanation for why there was such a delay, right? They weren't saying, well, we were building our case, we were collecting evidence. They had no answer to that question. Why did you wait so long? Um, the court looked at the factors constitutionally in making its decision and said, under these conditions, the prosecution was unconstitutional. There is a right to a speedy prosecution in New York. So I believe the judge was just trying to follow the constitutional framework here. I understand people being frustrated. It's a very maddening thing, but I think Jay really nailed it here. You should be mad at the prosecutors for dropping the ball, not for not mad at the judge for apparently just following the constitution. Right. He followed the constitution, but what about the state law? What does the state say? No, the state. So that was part of why the judge ruled the way he did. The state law actually gives more rights if you wish, than the federal constitution does as it relates to a speedy prosecution. As we know, the federal constitution talks about the right to a speedy trial. In New York, they go further when it comes to a speedy prosecution. Now, these rights are intertwined because, as I mentioned, there's something called due process. And so this is all seen as part of your due process rights that you don't just get prosecuted out the blue years later without a reasonable reason as to why it's taking them so long to do it. So it is a federal right, but in New York, the right is even broader than it is at the federal level. And so the judge is even more constrained in New York to rule that way. Now, you might disagree with that, but that would require changing New York's laws and New York's constitution. Right. Uh, this is it's really, <laughs> this is just a bad situation all the way around. I think the judge could have, could, he could, I think he should have held the prosecutors or given them time or whatever he could have done. But I, I see what you're saying. He he did what was in his power to do. Right. Yeah. He was limited to so, what he could do. Yeah. He just, wow. you know, the court had to answer the question as to whether the lower court's conviction and process was constitutional or not. He came on the side of it not being constitutional. And so all he could do is reverse the conviction at that point. Now, now let's look at it, take it the other route. Let's say that the judge upheld it. Now, would the judge then be a bad judge for basically openly violating the defendant's rights? Right. And then would other groups protest him and say, we don't want you being the chief judge because you don't respect defendant's rights? Right. You didn't follow the law. How can we how can we trust that you're going to be a judge, um, but you wouldn't follow the law uh, in this case? Yeah. And, th and this is just my concern. And I don't want to make it too much about this particular case because I get it's a very ugly and emotionally charged case. But my overall concern here is that we're looking at these things in terms of, you know, the governor appointing who's going to be the chief judge. We're looking at it through such a political lens that we're not able to take the law into consideration the way we should. I mean, the judges are bound by the law and the Constitution. We don't have to like their decisions. They don't have to like their own decisions, but they're trying to make decisions that are in line with what the Constitution and what the law says. Should we be looking at this through a political lens or should we realize that the judge's decisions are supposed to be removed from the politics and the emotions? Yeah, and I think part of it is also, you know, I would assume uh, most people aren't aware of those requirements that have to be upheld, right? And so what they're going to see on the surface is, wow, this judge just let this rapist go, yeah. right? They're not going to see that, okay, maybe he had no choice if he was going to actually follow the law like we would like him to do, because if you're ever in front of a judge, you want your rights to be upheld. And so that means mm -hmm. that 
even in some cases, people who we would like to go to jail if their rights were violated. Right. They shouldn't. So, right. That, that's a great point, Jay. I mean, what if yeah. God they tried to prosecute one of us for something later on and it wasn't rape or anything like that? It was something that, you know, we think is a frivolous case, whatever it is. But we want to know that our rights will be respected and we don't want precedent out there that this judge said back in the day. Oh, you know, I don't want this rapist, this convicted rapist to go free. So I'm going to disregard the Constitution and allow this conviction to stand. That would create precedent then that if it was one of us to someone that we thought was being unfairly prosecuted could be used against them. Right. Because now we're seeing a history of rights not being respected. Right. And now we've got, you know, potential for chaos, really. Yeah. Right. Because that that's going to be an issue that's going to come up. And I'm sure a lot of women are going to join that that protest. Yeah. So again, maybe the protest should be against the prosecution here, not the judge. And and about the prosecution to actually follow the rules, follow the law like they're supposed to do. And Um, demand accountability. Why did they wait so long? That question came up in court. They were given a chance to explain the delay, and apparently they had no answer. That was in the judge's decision. So why not? Why did it take so long? Right. That's where there should be. And, you know, I had um, we had an extended conversation about this, actually, after the Bill Cosby thing. Um, actually, my mother and I did a, a Facebook live and we were on actually not just me and my mother. Like I opened it up for people to come up and have this discussion about whether or not uh, or how they felt about Cosby getting let off. Um, and so, like, it's, it's we want those rights to be you know protected. And even if. You know, sometimes it sucks, but if the rights aren't protected, then we're all at risk. And and that's an even bigger problem. Yeah, it is. But when you commit a crime and your rights are protected, where do you go from there? When you commit a crime, somebody pr- drops the ball, the prosecution. You go after the, the prosecution. Ball. Yeah, but how do you. So what? Where is the law in that? Because this be rapist recourse? is going free again. Should there be recourse against the prosecution? I think, yeah, for, for dropping the ball. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. What is going to happen? Yeah, what, what, if a, a, this young lady that was violated and this man whose rights were, his rights were violated. Where, right. where, how do you remedy this? Because he can strike again. He's not going to stop being who he is. Well, yeah. He's gotten away. So now, how does, where does this fit at, this situation fit into when it comes to the law? Right, but we see this really throughout the law. For example, you know, the Fourth Amendment protects against unreasonable searches and seizures, right? So, there's something called the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine, where if the police or the government obtains evidence illegally, it can't be introduced against you. And if it is, you can have the conviction overturned on those grounds. I mean, people might look at that as a technicality that might upset people because it might look like someone just got away with a crime. But it doesn't mean that your constitutional rights, anyone's constitutional rights can be disregarded. You know, we do strive to uphold constitutional rights in this country. And when they're not followed, I think we should be upset, but we should be careful. I think at whom we're directing our anger towards. I think it should be the people who are refusing or who are dropping the ball on respecting the rights, not the people who are upholding and who are bound by the Constitution. Right. Because ultimately, 
um even though this guy got off on that or even though like you said the um you know evidence obtained illegally can't stand ultimately these are protections for us right because otherwise you know you would face intimidation tactics police would would get evidence or prosecutors or whoever get evidence from you in ways that you know would put you at a disadvantage the way that you you know or, or violate your rights um, imagine like you know people in, in especially in urban settings like if they can collect evidence any old kind of way you know then there's no proof of anything or whatever like we would all be at a disadvantage at that point so these are protections for us for the whole right series. thank you to everyone for joining us i see lixa what's going on lixa james in the chat lola everyone watching lixa says it's an unfortunate truth judges can't rule by emotion they have to uphold the law Maybe the judge, when making a ruling like that, should condemn the action and explain the law. He was bound to make that decision. Now, I think there should be a potential, and I think that's what we talked about last week, to maybe bring something, uh, action against the prosecution. Say, look, you you got this, you let this rapist go because you didn't do what you were supposed to do, and uh-huh. you know better. Maybe there should be some kind of a remedy situation, but I'm assuming this would fall under what we were talking about before about immunity. Um, right. Right. But also, and again, it's a difficult case to talk about because of the subject matter, what it is, right? It's a rape case. But generally speaking, I think we have to keep in mind that this idea that prosecutions have to be speedy also relate to the legitimacy of the prosecution. So we have statutes of limitations, for example, for a reason. And we have these principles, not just statute of limitations, but you have to bring cases in a reasonable manner. There's something called latches on the civil side. But the idea is that as time goes on, more and more time goes on, the less credible your case is probably going to be because people are going to forget things. Evidence is going to be lost. Witnesses aren't going to be as reliable anymore. And so a conviction obtained many, many, many years later might not be as strong as one that happened after the fact where everything is fresh in people's minds and the evidence is there. And so, you know, we we have to be mindful of that. Now, I'm not saying that this person who was convicted was innocent. I really have no idea. We just have what's in front of us. But as a general principle, we, I think, should be more suspicious of convictions that happen many years later because the cases might not be as strong anymore. Right. Yeah. Things change. Memories change. It's even been, you know, scientifically proven. We we misremember things often the further we get away from the, the event. So. Right. So, Sheba, thank you for joining us. You were part of the League of Women Voters last time we spoke. Are you still active in that group? Yes, I am. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Yes. I'm on what the board, you... as a matter of fact. What is that? I'm on the board. In, on uh, the board. League of Women Voters, yes, at Hudson Valley. In Hudson Valley. Okay, excellent. And yes. what have you been working on lately as an organization? Well, as it, uh, we have been working on, um, there's uh, the redistricting that they're doing. And also the voting, um, the electrical, how the electrical votes are being counted, how the election votes are being counted. Oh, okay. The electoral votes are being counted. Right. Okay, so they, so so mm-hmm. does your group favor the interstate compact, I think it's called, where you get rid of the electoral college and basically you effectively get rid of it by pledging your state's electoral votes to the winner of the national popular vote. Is that what you guys are pushing for or something else? No, this is something else. This is uh, it's it's sort of like that. It's coming within that, 
it's it's le- I would say it's leading towards that. Okay. But right now, what we're doing is the electronic votes because they have what is it that they have? I I forgot where you can put so many people on uh, on the ballot now. It's a lot of people you can put fusion on the ballot. Voting? But that's what, hmm? Fusion voting. I think so. Where they have, um, I, you know, we had a meeting a couple of months ago and trying to keep up with everything. I didn't quite have my notes, but I um, I know we are looking at how the instead of having, you know, when you go in and you have the regular ballots and you just um, where they have the, like the machines that you put them in, they want to do it more uh, on the electronic side now because they want the votes to be more accurate. And the uh, national at the national level, we had a meeting on that, and okay. um, a lot of people were saying that they think if it moves more to computerized voting, the voting would be fair. That's what they're thinking. But is there a about. concern about being hacked or that data being manipulated? I, that's the issue. Mm. Okay. That's the issue. Yeah. Because I think I think mm-hmm. a lot of people take the opposite approach or, or position, right? That it's more fair if it's on paper because you can see the papers, you can count the papers, and it's harder to manipulate that. Right. But that's not, yeah, that's not what they're looking at. They're looking at it being more uh, computerized because they feel that the votes will be. Besides, the machines in New York State are very old, from what I yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah. The way they do the process is very old, so they want to modernize that right. process. Right. Sure. And this is um, something that we support. Be, uh, that they modernize the voting, how they vote in the state of New York. Absolutely. Yeah, that, and we, but we've and we've seen though, like there's been a lot of. Uh, controversy around these types of voting, uh, especially electronic voting machines and, and issues with electronic voting machines. So yeah, getting that right, I mean, not only because it's uh, it's voting, so it's something that's very important. So it's going to be crucial to get that right. Yeah. And I just remember the first choice voting. That's what oh, ranked choice, ranked right, choice. Ranks, what is it called? Ranked choice voting. Right, voting. So yeah, and that's something that uh we thought was very good but it also they're trying to get that you guys want to get it done not just for the city elections like we have in new york city now but statewide yes okay and but the thing of what i saw they were saying it's we support it but then it it opens it up to a lot a wide range of candidates sure and you your first choice how they have it is that you have your first choice and you have your second choice. Right. So it do you is, think that it, people do enough research on all these candidates to know how to rank them? I don't, I, I think in this area and here in Dutchess County, I think they do. Okay. I think they do yeah, in Dutchess County because it's a very close knit County when it comes to, Knowing who votes and um, knowing their history. Um, so I think in this county it does. I don't know about, let's say, Ulster County or Orange County, but I know here in Dutchess, they really know. Yeah. It was controversial here in New York City, still is. And we had Sal Albany's who favors final five voting, I think they're calling it in New York, but he really likes and his organization really likes the ranked choice voting. They want to have it not just for uh, primaries, but they want to do a, a ranked choice style 
election where Democrats, Republicans, independents, any party can be in it. And then the top two move on to the general election, I think, regardless right. of the party that they're in. Right. I'm in favor of a cage match still. <laughs> it's yeah, quite I'm- interesting. And, you know, we have our redistricting uh, here that's being done as well in, in, in Dutchess yeah. County. Uh, Newburgh, Beacon, and Poughkeepsie, we've been uh, together forever because I grew up here in this in, in the in this area that I'm in. And now they are separating us where they keep Newburgh and Beacon together, but they're going to redistrict uh, Beacon, which might become part of Putnam County. Now, is and that in terms of the assembly races or you're talking about the actual counties? They're going to put they're going to change the makeup of the counties themselves. Yeah. Wow. Because I think for what I understand, um, Beacon is pro- probably will end up. Well, not the not the county. I will say the towns. The uh, Beacon will end up a part of probably um, as a town, Putnam County. Right. Wow. We still have a Duchess, yeah. Okay. But I think Beacon. Why are they probably, doing that? I have I have no idea. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I have no I have no idea. The redistricting has been going on here for some time. Right. Well, I know that's been happening statewide, and there was a big legal battle over the redistricting process because every 10 years you gotta do it after the census and the Senate seats were found to be unconstitutional in the way that they were drawn, speaking of constitutionality, and Mm -hmm. they were thrown out and new seats had to be drawn. Um, A lawsuit was then brought to challenge the constitutionality of the assembly lines, which were drawn with that same process. And so Mm -hmm. the the reasoning should be the same, right? And the judge said, yes, you're right. Those were also done unconstitutionally. However, they brought up this this uh, principle of latches that I mentioned. It's too late in the process. It was too late in the game to redraw them in time for the elections of 2022. And so the judge said, even though they were unconstitutional, those interim lines had a hold until the next election, and they've got to be redrawn again, leading to the next election. And so that's why we're still in the process because the assembly lines have to be redrawn after being held unconstitutional. Oh, Mark, and that's why we, uh, how we lost uh, Congressman Sean Maloney. That's Congress. New York lost uh, a couple seats in Congress because of the population decreases. Um, no, we lost because they redistrict his, he, they, that right, but, but New York, but right, but New York lost two seats. So when they redrew the oh. maps, they had to draw mm-hmm. them with two fewer districts than before. So a lot of things got shifted around that way. Yeah, but he was a good congressman for us. But at the and I'm not saying we we have a new congressman, um, Congressman Ryan. Yeah. But we had when we had. Um, uh, I'm Pat- familiar. I'm familiar with that district. I did work as an election lawyer in that district. And actually, there's a case that's considered landmark election law in New York now. It was a case that I argued about serving objections. It's kind of a technical thing, but when you try and knock someone off the ballot, you have to follow the right process. It relates to what we talked about, actually, with this case um, that this judge decided, right? The process has to be correct if you're going to go after somebody. Um, And so that case that I argue stands for this notion that you have to strictly follow the rules if you're going to knock someone off the ballot. But that congressman said Congressman Ryan, he was a candidate even back then. That was in 2018 he ran. So he ran a few times. But mm-hmm. he finally won, right? Isn't that isn't that the district that um, Antonio Delgado was in before he became lieutenant governor? 
uh, no, he wasn't. In, he was um, further down. He was lower. I thought that was Ryan's district, though. Huh? Isn't that Congressman Ryan's district now? Yeah, it's his district. But see, I think Delgado, he wasn't he wasn't in our area. I think he might have been further north. He's in Ulster, Ulster, further north in Ulster. I know he wasn't. He, yeah, he you're wasn't right. He's a little further north. He was, he was District 19. But I believe Pat Ryan is in that same district. He's in. He was in District 19, but he when they redistricted, they redistricted it. Yeah, so he he's in he's in District 18 because I'm in District 18 now. Okay. And Delgado, I think, was further north. Was 19, but that was before the original right. line, so everything got changed yeah. after they redrew it. Yeah, there were a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. been changing quite a bit. But I remember Ryan. Ryan was a candidate against Delgado. I think he was in that that race back in 2018 before they redrew it. Yeah, and they did. Kept yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, very interesting stuff. A lot of moving parts in New York. Yeah, you know, we still don't know yes. who the chief judge is going to be. And I think we thought that could have been the poll question, Jay, for the week, right? Should something be changed about this process? Because we're seeing it repeatedly now, and I think we kind of alluded to it. It kind of seems like whomever the governor picks is going to get pushback at this point because the people who were against the first choice were successful in defeating that selection. And so now it feels like anyone who has a gripe with a judge is going to feel emboldened and think, let's make a big stink about this and maybe we can get this choice defeated as well. What's going to happen? I mean, is that a sustainable system? Should that be the system? And should we just embrace that as the norm now that any judicial selection is going to get pushed back from the people? Because it used to be kind of a thing that happened behind closed doors. And yes, there were hearings in the Senate, the Judiciary Committee did this little investigation, but it was never a big, huge media story and controversy the way that it is now. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it, it's kind of what it is right now, right? And I don't know if it's going to change anytime soon. Um, I think it it ultimately becomes up to, you know, the people that are, are you know, the person nominating these judges to to look at the situation and just know that this is what the landscape is. Like this organization, uh, I forget what the name of it was, uh, Now NY or something like that. Now NY, yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately they have no no say in who gets chosen. They can say that we don't like this choice. Um, that doesn't mean that that's going to stop him from getting there. It's up to well, the governor to say, you know, this is who I'm choosing. Well, it's up to the senators now to confirm yeah. this choice. And what we saw with the previous election was groups like this put pressure on the senators to oppose the confirmation. And it kind of mirrors what we see at the national level where the president would put someone forth for the Supreme Court, but the Senate has to confirm that choice. We're dealing with this now in state where the state Senate has to confirm. And there was a big battle as to whether the Judiciary Committee of the Senate should get to decide this or if the entire Senate should get to vote on it. But we might see groups like this continuing to put pressure on senators to oppose these selections. And does that inject too much politics into the process? We do want our judicial branch of government to be separate from the legislative, separate from the political wins, right? Obviously, they're tied. They're going to be tied as long as the governor has to make the choice and as long as the Senate confirms right. it. You're not going to divorce that entirely. Right. But this seems to be opening it up to a, a different level. I think we were going to ask if perhaps the judge should even be democratically elected. That's something to consider. But if you go that route, you're making it even more political, right? Right, because then judges become de facto politicians at that point, because now they have to campaign. Which they are. They are. And let's be clear, if you're running for 
Supreme Court in New York State to you know to be a trial court or even for the civil court, you do run for election. So you are kind of a de facto yeah. politician. We often see both parties, Democrats and Republicans, supporting uh-huh. the same candidate. They try to take some of the political forces out of it, but you do run for election. But these higher court judges, right, court, uh, appellate court judges, judges on the Court of Appeals are not directly elected for that reason, because right. we don't want yeah. them to make these controversial decisions with political considerations in mind. We want them to be removed to the extent possible from that. Boy, is this decision he made controversial? Yeah, absolutely. That's why this group now and why is opposing it. But they fight for women's rights. That opened the door for that, too. That decision he made just opened the door for that. But it sounds like they may not have understood the decision or they just don't agree with it because of what the crime was, right? Right. So here, here is the quote, and, and it was a letter to a Senator, Jamal Bailey. The group Now NY wrote a letter to the Senator, I'm guessing to more than one Senator, saying, as advocates for survivors of sexual assault, we are outraged that Judge Rowan voted to strip a rape survivor of justice. In fact, he wrote the opinion. Right. Um, I, I think it, it, it yeah. does show a lack of understanding of, of the situation. Um. It does sound a little like could potentially sound like grandstanding. Um, you know, to be fair, look, but, the article that I'm seeing on this doesn't have a whole lot of information. So we right. did some digging. We read the opinion. We tried to look into it a little bit. I don't know. It's quite possible that this group had a valid critique from a legal or constitutional perspective as well. But that's not being reported here. And that's a problem probably in itself. That right. uh-huh. we, we we might have valid gripes with the way these rules, these rulings are made legally, constitutionally. But in the media, we're just getting the political side of things. Right. Right. So there could there, so, there yeah. absolutely could be more. Yeah. And that's the thing to look into. How can we look into that if there's more? How can we find out? Well, we have to do a lot of research ourselves. Like I said, you could read the decision and I've done that. We would have to see, I guess what now NYC exactly was saying, we would have to maybe even go to these senators and say, can we look at the letters that now NYC provided you? You would hope that the media would provide more of it, but they don't seem to be. Hmm. And when did this happen? When did the assault take place, you said? 2009, allegedly, is when the incident happened. And there wasn't an arrest until 2016. So they knew... He was a, he was there was a complaint made in 2009 and they didn't move on it until 2016. And that's when they arrested the, 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 this rapist. And how long did he stay in jail after the arrest? I don't know if he was ever in jail or not. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of information on, on there, but apparently, you know, he went to trial in a lower court, got found guilty of the rape. And then I guess they appealed it and the right. judge was like, hey, you know, you guys should have done this like six years ago. That's that's violation of his, his rights. This can't stand. Yeah. But I thought they said they had just were they able to find him or was he just found when he was arrested? No, it I mean, they didn't say. No, 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 it's not like they were looking for him for all that time. The prosecution voluntarily didn't pursue the case. It was just sitting there in their office. They didn't make any moves on it. They didn't even try to pursue it in any way until uh, seven uh, years later. Oh, uh, 
Oh, so yeah, that would yeah, that would make all yeah, that would make all the difference. Yeah. Prosecution yeah. set, yeah. They just sat on their hands. I don't know what made them change their mind seven years later. Maybe that was political pressure. You don't know, right? Maybe someone, maybe a group like Now and Why was behind rallying them, writing letters, you know. I don't know if them in particular. I wouldn't be surprised if certain advocates, you know, maybe the victim or the victim's family started putting more pressure on the prosecutors doing advocacy groups. I don't know. I'm speculating now. But the prosecutor couldn't offer an explanation as to why it waited, you know, why the office didn't move on it right away. And that was really what well, led to the reversal. I have a question. How many cases have they set on and nothing has happened and the people were still convicted and sent to prison? Has that happened? Oh, sure. But the question also is how long did they sit on it? What was their excuse, if any? Like I said, sometimes it's a matter of trying to build up evidence, maybe get the right witnesses to cooperate, get DNA, whatever it is that you need. Sometimes it takes some time to build a case, but that's a different scenario if I'm just voluntarily doing nothing, right? Then all of a sudden springing this on someone years later. Now you could also raise the question from the defendant's point of view, is there any difference from their perspective? Right. right? If the prosecution is building its case behind closed doors, or if they're not, if you're a defendant, if you're an alleged criminal in this situation, does it matter to you? Do you feel any different? on it. I guess I guess you might not notice it being any different, but the theory legally is that it still is different because the prosecutors aren't actively working on the case and so they're letting it collect dust and that makes it less reliable as time goes on. Yeah, and also oh, that's a horrible thing. It's also, you know, you're living un- under this will they won't they type of of situation. Yeah, but you could be anyway if they're investigating, if they're building a case, you still might right. have that will they won't they yeah. feel and it could still be constitutional if they do it the right way. Right, right, right. That's true. That's true. But it's still, I can see, as I said, I can see the women's women's group coming out against this judge because it's, it's it, it opened the door to a lot of things, be it by the Constitution or by what has happened or, or her rights being violated as a woman. That decision opened up... To, a door for a lot of things to come up now to be challenged to be talked about and the prosecutors would be on the top at the top of the list yeah so let's put this question out to the people and see what they think about this and see what kind of comments we get on it so the poll question of the week is do you believe that new york's high judge should be democratically elected as opposed to appointed by the governor Yeah, I think that'd be a good one. Hopefully, everyone. Oh well, I guess. We, I think so. Guess we'll see which way the where people flow. We don't know. We'll uh, see. Like uh, I said, I just have this concern that we're overly politicizing everything. And of course, I'm a lawyer, and so I might be more biased to think that way. But I know that the legal system and the the judicial system, in particular, sometimes has to reach unpopular conclusions. But that's why it's supposed to be separated from the political process to the extent possible. Again, you can't divorce it entirely. That's just how we are. But it's supposed to be a check, right? The the branches of government are supposed to be checks on each other. And so I understand with Roe v. Wade, with some of the Supreme Court decisions now, we're very much kind of trained mentally and emotionally to respond uh, with feelings and with our beliefs. And that's fine too. 
But we need to be careful, I think, before we attack every judge for making a decision that we don't like because it, the judge may be bound. The judge might not like that decision himself or herself, but they're bound by the Constitution and the laws. And maybe our outrage should be directed elsewhere. Like we said, the prosecutors are dropping the ball. Maybe changing the law and the Constitution if we think these provisions are not right. But while they're there, the judges are supposed to follow them. Right. And I think, yeah, I think we yeah. want to have as many protections as, as possible in the law for the potentiality of the innocent being caught up in something. And then that if that means that someone is going to get off for being guilty every once in a while, then I think it's something that we just, you know, it just is what it is. I think it's better that people, innocent people are more, more protected. Yeah, you're never, never going to have a perfect system, no, but absolutely. we call this show nuance for a reason. The answer, the best answer is somewhere in the middle, taking all these different considerations into concern. And it's not always pretty. It's not always politically expedient to be that way. No. You know, and when you campaign, they say you campaign in poetry, you govern in prose, right? When you really get down to the nitty gritty of making these systems work better and improving them. Yeah, it is kind of ugly. It's kind of messy. It's kind of little from this, a little from that. Yeah. Let's try to find a good landing place here. That's not fun to talk about. That's not great on a campaign trail. It's not a good soundbite. It's not a good stump speech, but it's the reality of the world that we live in. It's about making the systems better, knowing they're never going to be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that um, also kind of uh, now I missed the segue. The segue would have been earlier when we were talking about the voting. Uh, when it came down to the decision, or not decision, but what happened recently with uh, about an hour or two ago, Fox News settled their case with uh, the Dominion Voting Machines Company uh, because, um, you know, they've been running with this story or they had been running with the story that, um, you know, the machines messed up and that the 2020 election um, was, or not the 2020, the, yeah, 2020 election was stolen from Trump. Um, and it came out in the news that even everyone at Fox News knew that was a lie and they continue to push it. The people that were hosting the shows, the people behind the scenes, even up to Rupert Murdoch, all knew it was a lie and they kept perpetuating this. And so Dominion, uh, the company Dominion, sued Fox News for $1.5 billion saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with our machines. This is a defamation case. And basically moments before the trial was supposed to start today, uh, before the opening arguments was supposed to start today, they came out and they settled. So Fox is paying them seven hundred thirty some billion uh, million dollars uh, in the settlement for this case here. So, right, and that tells yeah. you that they believe that that was a viable case. Right, right. And that if it went forward, they could risk paying even more. Right, uh -huh. and not just the, not just monetarily, but also this would be dragged out in the news. That means people like Tucker Carlson and all these people are going to have to come out and answer for in the public for why you blatantly lied to the American people. Now. Right. And if it went all the way, there would be a decision that could then be used as precedent against them because we uh -huh. talked about earlier how there are other cases. This wasn't the only one. And right. so I'm sure they were concerned about that, right? That if there was a decision against them, that could then be used as precedent to help all these other people collect against them. If they settle uh -huh. it, part of their benefit is they just pay to make it go away. Now there's no case law that can be used against them. Right. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
I think they should have taken it all the way. Not Fox. Fox settled. They got out best. If I would, you know, Dominion should have taken them all the way. However, this this valuation, this this prize that they won, is apparently multiple multiples higher than their valuation of their company entirely. So they're really coming out ahead out of their, out of this. But I think for the good of the country, Fox news and the whole organization should have been dragged in front of the public for blatantly knowingly putting out this this falsehood in in um into the media i think that's right. and didn't it come out jay in discovery that these hosts and even the executives knew yeah. that what they were saying was false and the yeah. election was not stolen but they were going to say it anyway on the show i mean that's pretty damning right and um, in a defamation uh-huh. case you you know that's a major strike against you because you know as we may know it's not only about proving that the statement was false but that you knew or you know it, it depends on the level if you're if you're a public figure if it's a matter in new york now if it's a matter of public concern it's not just that the statement was false but that you either knew or you consciously disregarded a substantial risk of it being false but if you can prove that they straight up knew that they were lying then yeah i mean if those are the two major elements of a defamation claim. So you're, you know, if you're a plaintiff, you're celebrating at that point. If you're a defendant, yeah, you're probably looking to settle. Yeah. Yeah. And they had, they had like all kinds of different evidence um, showing that they, that they knew they had, um, you know, written. And I think they even had some audio evidence um, with them knowing that this was, this was all BS, but they were doing it anyway. So Fox put out a statement afterwards saying that the settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. Laughable. Um, I shouldn't have said that. Um, we are hopeful that our decision to resolve the dispute with Dominion amicably instead of uh, in a divisive trial allows the country to move forward from these issues. But I think here's the thing. If Fox is going to continue to blatantly put out these falsehoods, we can't move forward from these issues. They continue to cause issues in the country. They continue to be divisive in the country. And I think that's the bigger danger here and the bigger problem than, you know, them getting off on this, you know, this one. Yeah. Hit. And that statement, obviously, very carefully crafted by an attorney trying to save face and what have you. But, you know, their motivation wasn't to move forward as a country. They were yeah. settling to save their own asses. That, yeah. that was a, a purely self-serving decision. Yeah. They, they, I mean, here's the thing is, if you cared about the country moving forward, you wouldn't be blatantly putting out lies that you know is dividing the country, causing issues. That's been made, matter of fact, it's, it's basically shaking our democracy. Like if you cared about the country, you wouldn't be putting this out. You wouldn't even be in this position. So it's basically, you're just, you're just mad you got caught. And right. Well, Jay, I wanted to bring up the point for those who have questions about whether it can be a good idea to take a settlement, go back and watch or listen to the episode that we did called Scala Where's My Turkey? Where we talked about the Pepsi, where's my jet case? Pepsi offered this kid, what was it? I forget what it was now, but I think it was in the millions. And he, yeah, so, so he wanted the jet, but they offered a settlement of a, you know, a very large figure. He turned down the settlement to go to trial and he lost. And if he would have oh. taken the settlement, even though he thought he had the high ground on here, just would have taken that settlement. He would have been, you know, a millionaire or whatever. It was, it was, a, it was a lot of money they were offering him. So sometimes, you know, even if you think that you are right, it's best to take that settlement. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just, just for me personally, I, I think, and, and for the, for the good of the country, I think Fox should have been put on, needed to be on trial 
because you know we we've talked about this multiple times how the media is just out of control everything is so biased there's everything is is so skewed one way or the other i mean even every talking point out there is is some kind of skewed thing one way or the other and it's part of the the country's thought process now i think something like this needed to be put on on trial i mean look Elon Musk just came out like yesterday talking about mm -hmm. he wants to create uh, Truth GPT because right. conservatives are concerned that that the AIs are are uh, not basically not putting up with their following their propaganda because it's it's being too much <laughs> liberal bias. Do you, do you do you remember on that point? Do you remember when Stephen Colbert roasted George Bush at the correspondence dinner? Oh yeah, yeah. He had a really great lot in there, and he said something like, you know, everyone knows that the facts have a liberal bias. Right. Yeah. And so, like, we're seeing this and stuff like what Fox was doing is helping to push that and, and keep that in our narrative. So I think basically that's what needed to be on trial. You know, not just be, you know, Fox bills itself. They're not really new. They call themselves Fox News, but they're, they're basically entertainment, news entertainment. And so I think that's how they get away with being able to do a lot of the stuff that they're doing. Right. Um, but this should have been put on trial. They're not, you know. But I think this goes back to the overall theme of the episode here, or at least our most recent discussions about how in court, sometimes the focus is more narrow than we want it to be. Right. right. Like you're saying you want Fox on trial, but this was about these very specific claims. And I understand we mm -hmm. want, a broader more maybe even more romanticized view of how things should go but sure. sometimes reality is more boring than that sometimes a court case is more boring than that it's not like we see it on tv or in the media it, you know what i mean it's it's a defamation claim and and maybe some of it got knocked out and motion to dismiss some of it was left mm -hmm. okay we settled this it's, it's you know it's not this grandiose thing that we always want it to be sure maybe there's another avenue to pursue that than a civil case right i i, I would have preferred that they have to either be found guilty of it or openly admit that yeah we 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 blatantly defrauded the country every one of our listeners yeah we lied to you like i think that's probably more what they were what they were looking to avoid yeah with, mm -hmm. the, with the settlement because their credibility takes a hit at this point here their their loyal followers can still be like, oh, well, this is just. Uh, well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let, let me pose a question to both of you. Does it matter? Yes. Does it matter if their credibility takes a hit with people who believe that yes. they, that, that people who believe that their credibility was uh, in question to begin with? I mean, it's, it seems like people no. are already made up on this. No. Are you going to convince anyone? No, for people who already question their credibility, no, mm -hmm. I, think, I don't think it matters. Because right. and, and to the people who don't question their credibility, mm -hmm. is it going to matter with them? Or are they going to just think that that's fake news? Well, see, that's that's the thing. I think with the settlement and it not going to trial and not being dragged out and Tucker Carlson not being marched out there and finding out that he did this and people being able to see it in front of their faces, without that happening, the people who don't call their credibility into question can say Oh, this is fake news. It's just a liberal attack, as always, because they've got nothing to show for it, right? They're still going to say that, they're, though, regardless of what the it. outcome is. They're going to say the judge is fake. A lot of people yeah. are say that, but potentially someone, there would be a, a good portion of the audience would be like, hey, look, 
we're not like wow you you, you lied to us like i don't uh, yeah you would hope so but you may be optimistic on that I and mean, there, there would be exposés about how these jurors voted for bernie sanders or whatever oh look we, we saw a bernie bumper sticker on their car when they were in college you can't trust the word that they say they you know they would cast doubt on the entire decision no matter how it came out i mean anything against them if they're a believer in that side they're going to defend yeah. that to the grave no matter what it right. is i don't think you're going to turn and I, and I, and I can see where Fox News, their base is so strong. It would, they could take the stance on somebody, suppose, you know, well, they just paid them to go away because they were never going to leave them alone. But so should they get a pass for that? <laughs> should they get a pass for that? Just because we, we, we feel and we're probably right that their, their viewers and people aren't going to change their minds on them, aren't going to see the facts that are put before them. Should we be just like, OK, we're just going to have to let it go? Or should we still have them dog walk through the system like they should be? Like, I but think they it, should still be. But how many of you feel how many people feel like you is it the majority? I think it- the people who already question their credibility probably feel like me. The people who, <laughs> who support Fox News are like, yeah, you you liberals or, or whatever are just uh, right. attacking us again. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So does any of this matter? Unfortunately, it's like we're in two different worlds right now. Yeah. I don't think we can break that wall. I don't think we can we can get there. <laughs> no. We're just too divided. Yeah. Right. But I think we should still put it, put it. It still should be on trial. I think it still should be. I mean, because it's the same thing with with um, with Trump being indicted. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's the same thing. They're like, oh, well, you know, does it is it going to matter or whatever? Yes, it should, because it's it still means there's some measure of accountability. I agree with that. Holding the indictment. That means you're still going to have to to deal with it. We can't just let it go and be like, well, you know, it's too big to do or, or whatever. Like, we still should make the attempt. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're just letting. No, and that goes back to the principle that we have to follow the law. Right. Regardless of who likes it, who doesn't like it, if it's popular, right. certain people, unpopular, but certain people. But you know, Mike, we that, through everything. if we want credibility in our legal system, we have to be consistent and just follow the law, right? Right. Yeah. But then when, when following the laws, it seems like someone's going to end up hurt. Because even when you go back to this judge and his decision to, to and I, I can I, you know, I can feel this young lady who was assaulted. The law didn't help her. That's how she's going to look at that. The the law helped me. Right. But hold on a second. There is no law that allows you to commit sexual assault. Right. So it's not like the law is on the defendant side. It, it, it was in this particular scenario because the prosecutor didn't follow the correct. But, right, yeah, procedure. right, right. What I'm saying is, right, I understand that. But what I'm saying is, this is how it will be perceived. Right. See, I'm not saying that he shouldn't follow the law. That's not what I'm saying. All right. What right. I'm saying is that when it's, when it's the, when p- the feelings or, well, I'll say this, how it per- will be perceived is that the law failed her and the law helped him. I'm right. not saying I'm not, you know, I'm not saying system, taken away though, from what right? you said. It's the system. The right. OK, system. so the system. Yeah. Right. It's, 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 how do we change that, though? And, and again, who is responsible for that? I mean, where should our anger be directed? Do we just demand better of our prosecutors? Do we look for a change in the law? 
What is so a solution? How are you going to demand better of the prosecutors? How, are, how is that going to be done? How can that be done? Well, prosecutors are elected, aren't they? DAs are elected. So why not organize politically about getting a better DA elected who's going to ensure that their office is doing the right thing? Yeah, there should be ways to hold them accountable. If we can't hold them accountable, then, yeah, then it's it's a free-for-all on, on this. Where did, this. Where did all this take place, though, this incident? Where, where did this all take? Was it in the area? <laughs> was or? it in your area? Maybe it was in your county. Let's see. <laughs> uh, let's see if we can pull up more information on this exactly where it was. People v. Regan was the case. People v. Regan. Hold on. Yeah. See, I don't think the decision says. We have to look into this. A little deeper. Which, um, first of all, which court was overturned? I mean, I, I think it's it's again, it's ultimately about the law and how it works for all of us. Because if you're arrested for something and they don't, then they don't do it right. Then. I, yeah. You you want you want to 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 get off on, it, especially if you're you're if you're innocent, right? Yeah, it shouldn't yeah, be allowed I, to stand. It just because right. it's already happened, right? You know, and you're right. But still, like, in all, yeah. Saint Lawrence County, Saint Lawrence, yeah, that's upstate, right? Yeah. Now on the flip side. Now now on the flip side. Now of course this is this is. Law. I want to, by the way, I just want to correct something here. So I'm looking at a lower court decision here. Right. And it says that there was a delay of four years. So it was 2013, they're saying mm. the incident happened in 2009. They're saying the prosecution commenced in 2013. Let me go back to the other decision because I thought it said 2016, but I could be mistaken on that. So here's the Court of Appeals decision 2009 was the incident. Uh, let me see. It's a lengthy decision. Like <laughs> Did it take two years for the judge to see it in the appeal? <laughs> no, okay. They are saying 2013. Okay, so that was my mistake, apparently. So it was more than four years later, not six years later, but still a four-year delay. I think they just it, it just reinforces that uh, prosecutors should be on, on the job, right? They, they should, should be. be doing what they're supposed to be doing um, because they have a very big responsibility in, in their hands. Um, they do. So if they don't, I mean, we can't just be like, okay, well, they screwed up, but you're going to jail anyway, because that's, you know, there's, there's no, there's no firm ground there to latch onto on what's right. going to be fair for, for others. So. I mean, and do we believe that due process includes a right to a speedy prosecution? Or do we believe that if there's a statute of limitations, it should be fair game? to bring a prosecution any time before the period is up, regardless of whether any groundwork was laid or if they moved on well, this law. If, should what, they be allowed to just sit on it until up until the statute of limitations? What was the statute, statute of limitations in this case? I don't know. I think I see the exact charge that it was. Again, I'm looking at the Court of Appeals decision. Whatever it was, that was apparently was still under uh, or, or right. Yeah, because the judge said, hey, look, this, this doesn't fall into it. I think that's more so, than. Okay, apparently. Okay, so it was rape in the first degree, so there was no statute of limitations. Okay. Yeah. Listen, it, it's, it sucks. Um, he's out there to do it again. If, and 
And I guess we can, I don't know if we can assume that he's guilty because he was found guilty in the court, even though it was overturned. So there must have been enough evidence for that judge to say, hey, you know, this was this was not right. Or they just they just brought a very good case. And the reason why it took them so long is because they couldn't figure out, you know, proper evidence to to make a stick or they did. You know, we don't know. Right. And don't forget, a lot of these trials are decided by juries and jurors are usually not lawyers. Right. And so they're making their decision based on the evidence and the facts presented to them. And maybe they're a little bit more emotionally persuaded than a lawyer or a judge is going to be. But that's why we have judges who are supposed to put checks on that, right? To say, maybe these jurors reached a conclusion the person was guilty for whatever reason. However, the law precludes this verdict in this particular case. Right. So. Yeah, it's, 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 it's it's unfortunate. Yes. It's unfortunate, but I think we want to make sure those protections are there for any one of us. Um, and we want to make sure that the prosecutors are are doing their job the way they're supposed to be doing it. And if they're not, there should be a way to hold them accountable. Yes, that's true too. I I definitely agree with that because that's, it's unfortunate for someone to be hurt and and especially in that way. Right. Absolutely. So Sheba, we like to give our guests the last word. We call it the bottom line. It could be anything that you want to leave us with, anything on your mind or anything we talked about or not talked about. But uh, what would you like to leave the people with, Sheba? What is the bottom line? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the bottom line is that um, this division, I think we have to work on being so divided because it's gotten to the place. It's it's become a uh, very scary situation. Yeah, yeah. When you, you when you look, when you stop, and you really see what's happening, you sit back, you take take a deep breath. It's really not good. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that we're we're seeing that in all the discussions that we had. Really, everything, right? It's just this division yeah. is making it hard for us to come to any kind of consensus. Yeah, and it's getting worse. Yeah, yeah. It is. Unfortunately. Yeah. So. Yeah, those extremists are getting more powerful and this division is growing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why we have Nuance to try to push back against that. And Jay, as always, where can people find us? They can find us on YouTube at Nuance Show. They can also find us on Instagram at Nuance Show. So the video replay will be up on, on the tubes. And the audio is everywhere podcasts are. So we're talking Spotify, Amazon, Apple and now YouTube podcast as well. So go there, check it out, um, subscribe, leave comments, say what's up, yell at us, whatever it is that you want to do. Yes. And as always, we've got work to do. We'll catch you next time. Thank you all. Yeah.